You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Well, this week, you know, kind of as I prepared to continue our series in the book of Ephesians called Promises, I was reflecting a bit on my own journey and my journey and the path kind of that has that has ultimately led me to here, this position at this church. You know, Natalie and I have been in ministry for almost 14 years now, and I've been the lead pastor of this church for about two and a half years. I had the hard task of following the founder, Rick Olmsted, who planted this church uh, almost 40 years ago, 39 years ago. He was the lead pastor of this church for just over 36 years. And if following the founding pastor isn't hard enough, I've got to spend most of my time as a lead pastor navigating a global pandemic. So I feel like the Lord kind of had it in for me. Um, I'm not sure if we're clapping for a global pandemic right now. So that's the problem. I'm just, I'm just uh, confused. What, Siri, Siri heard your claps, actually. No, a few years ago, I was preparing for the pastoral transition, and at that time, I, I really threw myself into all kinds of different studies on what made transitions go well. You know, and so there's all kinds of research out there. There's all kinds of, obviously, scripture. So I read all, about almost every single leadership transition in scripture. I tried to really study God's word around this. And, and of course, I met with mentors of mine who had gone through similar transitions. And I had talked with folks from around the vineyard, in, inside and outside the vineyard, actually, to learn from all of them. And one article that I kind of stumbled across talked about the, the top seven reasons why someone would choose a church. And it was interesting to me because although I was specifically studying church transitions, this article pointed out that it really doesn't matter if you're going through a transition or not. It doesn't matter if you're a newcomer or a longtime member. It doesn't matter if you're a new pastor or if you've you know, been pastoring the church like Rick had for 30 six some years, the top seven reasons why people choose a church are almost identical within the United States. Here are the top seven. I made a slide. You can look at them behind me. And of course, there's all kinds of things on this slide that would like make sense to us, right? All kinds of things that would make sense to us as we look for a church. But there's some that just, I wasn't sure what the language meant. Like what's quality of sermon? That that can mean a lot of different things. Like, are we talking about quality of theology or quality of entertainment, right? They mean two different things. You read it and you're like, geez, do I have to like strike the balance between theology and humor or like, like funny but not sacrilegious, right? There's, there's too far you can go. And so these phrases, they just, they were open to interpretation and nobody really explained. The article didn't explain it. I've always been a fan of good preaching over boring preaching, but quality. Like, I, just trying to wrap my mind around that. Of course, there's all kinds of things on this list, like warm and welcoming leaders. I love that. I love, and, and I just want you to know that we really love you. And we're glad that you're here at the vineyard. We hope you feel all the warm fuzzies that you, that you need. To, location is a good one, too, right? Like, I, I, you know, I know some of you drove a long ways, but I will remind you, we're just half a block away from Consuelos. 
and you can get a burrito on your way in or a burrito on your way out. They have the best green chili in town, right? So Consuelo's like location, location, location has always been about that, right? It's always been about that. And, and of course, you look at this list and there are things that, that just make sense. Like everybody wants a church with sound doctrine. I think that's what quality of sermon is leaning into, sound doctrine, good theology. I think this list begins to make sense. But as I was looking at this, I started to really process and pray and think, you know, what would the early church have said about this list? You, you, when you study the New Testament, when you look at the book of Acts, when you read the letters in the New Testament, you know, even Ephesians, where we're studying a lot in this series, what would Paul write to the church in Ephesus saying, these should be the top things that you look for in a church. These should be the top things that you yearn for, that you pray for, that you, that you discuss amongst yourselves so that they're established in your church. And the Bible's not silent on this. The Bible's not silent on this, on, on the markers of a solid Christian community. They're all through the pages in the New Testament. Last week, I talked a lot about how uh, the early church was known for reconciliation and unity, even in the midst of diversity, and how that's got to be a part of every local community. Earlier in the series, I talked about how the, the power and the presence of God, that even growing in your knowledge of God was a marker for the early church. Of course, if you read the book of Acts, extreme and extravagant generosity was a part of the early church, and giving to the poor and caring for the poor. These were all marks, among many other things, of a New Testament church. And then when you begin to study our chapter for today, which is Ephesians 3, you run across one of the top ingredients to a healthy church community. One of the top, if not the top. Something Jesus wanted in all of the, the church lives, all, all of the Christians' lives, as well as Paul. This is the, the deep and abiding quality of love. Love among the people. Our love for God, our love for one another, but as you'll see in a moment, our text for today is really highlighting the Christian's ability or the local community's ability to experience and receive God's love within their own life, to grow in God's love, to begin to understand it. Of course, it also means to, to give our love back to God and to demonstrate our love to one another, but this particular text is talking a whole lot about our ability to experience God's love in a personal way. And so according to Scripture, it's fair to say that being loved by God and creating a community where God's love is accessible and experienced is or needs to be towards the top of the list. And you take that and you look at the top seven reasons why the stereotypical American chooses church, and you, I think like to give the, the list the benefit of the doubt, I have to imagine love is baked into some of those things. Like maybe they mean kids' ministry that explores the expansiveness of God's love, where every child who walks through the doors can have an encounter with God's love. But this is... The struggle with our list versus the list of the New Testament is that we're left to assume that love is to, bake, to be baked into everything that we do because it's not explicitly said. But when you read the New Testament, when you read Paul, when you read this letter to the church in Ephesus, he doesn't let you assume anything. He explicitly says love has to be a part of your gathering. The experience of God's love has to be central to who you are and what you do when you gather 
together. Knowing God's love, then, is one of the key characteristics of a Christian's life. And what you'll see in our scripture today is that, like I mentioned earlier, of course, it's talking, the Bible also talks about loving God and loving others, but this particular text has way more to say about your ability to receive God's love, your ability to experience God's love. And of course, it encourages us to pray for this, to to lean into it, to contend for more and more of God's love working in our lives. I'm going to read Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 19 this morning. When I think of all of this, now, Paul is, Paul is basically recapturing all of chapter 3, but at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, he also says, when I think of all of this, so it's alluding to all of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2, every spiritual blessing, the reconciliation of all believers, growing in your knowledge of God. When Paul says, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength Through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. I love these prayers. And notice how at the beginning, right, it says Paul fell to his knees in prayer. He fell to his knees and started crying out and praying to God that all of these things, all of his church plants and all of the people there who have made a decision to follow Christ would begin to experience these prayers. It wasn't things like location that he was praying about. He wasn't praying uh, for when in the order of service they would take communion. He didn't fall to his knees and say, dear Lord God, help the preacher not have bad preaching. Or, Or help the worship team sing all of my favorite songs. Come on, we've all prayed that before. I know I've prayed that before. Paul doesn't pray that, though. Paul says, will you empower them with inner strength? Will you give them an experience of the love of Christ? Will their roots grow deep into the love of God? Because then, verse 19, then they will be made complete. Such a powerful prayer, and I think this is a prayer that we all need to be praying over our own lives and over our families and over this church and this city. As you look and you really dig into Ephesians 3, in particular this prayer, I want to pull out a couple of things that I hope will not only impact your understanding of this prayer, but will also influence how it applies to your own life and how you begin to pray this in your own life. First, according to this prayer and according to this passage, you see that power and love go together. That power and love go together. You need both power and love, love and power. They're designed and they're fashioned to fit together. The theological coupling of love and power is seen throughout the New Testament. 
And it's especially seen in this prayer and promise of Ephesians 3. See, power magnifies love, and at the same time, love informs and directs power. And it has to happen this way. It has to happen this way because power without love is dangerous. Yet love without power is often much less effective than you think. We need both love and power working together in our life. But as you'll see in this text, the power that Paul is talking about might surprise you. And the way that he's talking about power, it might surprise you. I'm going to read three or four phrases from this prayer. And I want you to just kind of listen about how power and love are coupled together in this prayer. Starting in verse 16, I pray that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. This is starting, this prayer is starting with power so that you have inner strength through his spirit. Many of us go about our weeks and we, we begin to feel weak. We begin to feel ineffective in our prayer life. We don't have perseverance and determination to continue on. And Paul says, I ask that you would give them power in their inner strength through your Holy Spirit. Next, verse 17, I pray that your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. This is love and strength linked together, love to keep you strong. It continues now in verse 18. I really love verse 18. Maybe you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Again, the coupling of love and power together. And that first phrase is so important. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, long, high, and deep his love is. God's love is it's so immeasurable. It's so exhaustive and immense that, and, and, and infinite in nature that our little pea-sized brains can't comprehend the magnitude and the power of God's love so much that we need to pray for God to give us power to understand his love. That has to be part of our prayer life. God, give me more power so that I can understand your love. So that has to, has to become our prayer. God, fill me with that power. Fill our church with that power. Not power for power's sake, but power to experience your love and to know it and to grow deep into that love. Because we are desperate to understand it more and more. You think about our prayer lives, right? Like we pray for all kinds of different things. Our list is long and it's growing Right, the things that we pray for in our life. And when you think about the types of things you pray for, particularly in relation to power, that list is equally long. Right? We, we pray for power so that we can experience things like reconciliation. We talked about it last week. We're going to need God's power for that. We pray for power so that we can experience healings and miracles, so we can have faith to move mountains, so that we can, have, so we can experience God's power around things like provision or deliverance. Right? And if it takes God's power to experience all of those things. Yet here in this prayer, in this biblical prayer, we see Paul asking for power so that he can experience God's love in a greater way. When I ran across that, I was just reminded again, oh Lord, let, let me cry out for power all, in all the areas of my life. I want to see more healing. I want to see more miracles. But this prayer, I want this prayer to become my prayer that I would experience God's power so that love would just grow and well up within me, so that I could experience greater depths of Christ's love for me. It's important to pray for this time and time again because God's love is dynamic. 
God's love is dynamic. It's not a static theory. It's a, it's a real life and a concrete kind of love that you can know, that you can personally experience, which leads to transformation in your life. Listen to the dynamic language that Paul writes about when he talks about the love of God. He says things like, grow down into God's love. Be rooted in his love. Grow in your understanding. And verse 19, one of the highlights, underline it, highlight it, repeat it, whatever you need to do, experience God's love. That's Paul's prayer for his church. And this is the eternal word of God. This is Paul's prayer for you and for me too. That we would experience God's love because it's dynamic. It's, it's reachable. It's knowable. The full extent of God's love is too much to understand. The scripture even says that. But giving your life to know how much of too much you might be able to experience is a worthwhile endeavor. Figuring out just how much of God's immeasurable love you might be able to experience is a worthwhile endeavor. I will give my life to that adventure time and time again. I will pray that prayer time and time again. Again, and here's why it says at the end of this passage that experiencing Christ's love makes you whole. Experiencing Christ's love makes you whole. If you want wholeness or completeness or if you're seeking transformation or spiritual maturity, there is a point. There is a point in your journey and there is a point in your walk with Christ where almost everything else will fail and God's love will remain. That's why we rest our life on experiencing his love, because that's what makes us whole and complete. And obviously, it's not a one-time deal. We're all on journeys. We're all in different ages and stages of our faith. We all experience bits of God's love, and he draws us deeper. And we experience it again, and he draws us deeper. It's a lifelong journey. But spiritual maturity and wholeness or the completeness of a disciple, they're linked together. Verse 19, just so you know, I'm not making this up. It's right here in the scripture. Verse 19, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Then. So you experience God's love. You experience the love of Christ, the love that he has for you, the transforming love that he has for you. And then you experience wholeness and completeness and all the life and power that comes from God. Again, power and love coupled together, but one leads to another. Experiencing the love of Christ is so transformative. This is what brings completeness and spiritual maturity. I was at a really big vineyard conference a couple of weeks ago. I love conferences. I love you know, a couple thousand people gathering together, worshiping together, praying for one another. There's something that happens in my heart when, when that happens. I love big conferences. I love networking and meeting all of the other pastors and, and having a camaraderie about how we're navigating these times as leaders. I, I love the encouragement that comes with that. But I, I couldn't help but think multiple times while I was at that conference, I would trade all of this for an encounter with Jesus, a personal encounter with his love. And, and I love conferences. I love YouTube channels where I can learn more about theology and I can listen to great teaching. I love the, the newest hot podcast where I can learn fresh ideas and all these amazing and, and wonderful and faith-giving thoughts. I, I have all of these things in my life. We need them all. But all of them fall short 
from a personal experience and a personal encounter with God's love. Only the love of Christ offers you that kind of wholeness. And remember who said this. This is Paul who's saying this. Paul, the same guy who taught on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the same guy who taught on healing and the prophetic and deliverance, the same guy who taught on all of these ecstatic, powerful moments, the same guy who had angelic and heavenly visitations, all of this is coming from that guy. And he says it will all fall short in comparison to a personal encounter with the love of Christ. Just read 1 Corinthians 13. Paul said you can have all the faith you want, faith to move mountains. You can know all the prophecy, prophecy that that gives you all the mysteries and, and all the spiritual explanations. You can have all of that. But if you have it without love, he says, it's like garbage. What a powerful statement. You cannot overstate the importance and the value of personally knowing and experiencing the love of Christ. You cannot overstate it. And so then we have to begin to ask, how? How can I fashion my life and position my heart to experience more of the love of Christ? I have three quick hitters for you this morning. It's definitely not an exhaustive list, but three things I want to encourage you with this morning, three ways that can help position your heart to experience more of God's love. Pray and get prayer, eliminate distractions, and stay consistent. It's not an exhaustive list by any means, but number one is incredibly important. Pray and get prayer. I talked about this two weeks ago, but when you, when you stumble across a biblical prayer, just plagiarize it and make it your own. Adopt the language. Get the living word of God in your mind and in your heart and get it part of your prayer life. Pray this prayer over yourself, over your family. I'm asking you, please pray it over our church and our city. That this would take root in our community and in our city. Pray for the power to understand God's love. Pray for a revelation of the expansiveness of his love. Pray that you would be able to experience how wide, long, high, and deep his his love truly is. And pray for it over and over and over again. Pray for yourself, but I also want to say it also includes getting prayer. It's pray and get prayer. There's something that just unique, uniquely happens when two believers pray for one another, when you receive prayer. And I'm not saying, you know, we have prayer ministry every Sunday. I'm not saying that every Sunday you come, that you should go back and get prayer, right? Sometimes the best thing for you do, to do when we gather on Sunday is to, to lift your voice in worship or to, or to just bask in his presence and, and embrace the time of kind of quiet, contemplative prayer that we have after every message. But sometimes... Sometimes when God's really moving on your heart, when he's really tapping you on the shoulder, you should get prayer. If you've never gone back and get prayer, I can promise you nothing weird back there happens. It's two believers praying for each other. We'll put your hand on your shoulder and we'll ask that God will move in your life for whatever and however you need to experience him. And if it's not back there, ask for prayer from your spouse. Ask for prayer from your friends. Ask for prayer from from your mentors. If you're always connecting but never praying, then you're leaving something on the table because God moves when we pray for one 
another. You also need to eliminate distractions. That was the second thing that I said, and I was thinking about this, and it really struck me that you know, as Christian community, as Christians ourselves, we usually have this time where we eliminate distractions around Lent leading up to Easter, but why do we only do it during Lent? Why not eliminate distractions throughout our life? Why not create rhythms and systems in our life where we're sacrificing distractions, where we're pushing them off to the side so that our mind and our heart can be more fixated on the things of God? I mean, that sounds like a really good habit to get into, right? Doesn't it sound like a really life-giving habit to, to have in our life? I will willingly get rid of this distraction so I can fix my eyes and my heart on the things of Christ more and more and more. Some of us, God wants to move in our life, whether you're in this room, whether you're viewing online, I, I believe with all of my heart that God is speaking to some of us right now in our lives, throughout our weeks, and we're, we're unable to hear that still small voice because we're just addicted to our screens or we're addicted to entertainment. We're always checking our bank account or retirement account. We're fixated on all these different things except for the one thing that brings us completeness and wholeness, the love of Christ. And I would venture to guess that as we begin to pray and get prayer and eliminate distractions, we might begin to hear that still small voice more and more and more. Finally, said, I said, stay consistent. Stay consistent. After all, the prayer starts with God. Empower us with your Holy Spirit for inner strength. There are going to be times where your prayers feel like they're failing, where it feels like you can't show up again, where it feels like you don't have the perseverance to keep asking and asking and asking and showing up faithfully time and time again. Those are the moments you need to stay consistent. Stay consistent. Ask for strength to stay in the game. It's hard, right? It is hard to compare your spiritual maturity today to like yesterday. There's not a wide enough gap there. But when you stay consistent with the Lord for over a year or over multiple years or over a decade or decades, now all of a sudden you can look back and you can say, wow, God, thank you for what you're doing in my life. Thank you that I'm not the same guy that I was 10 years ago. I've grown so much by your grace and through your love. Stay consistent long enough that you can see the transformation over a period of time. This prayer is, is so powerful. Experiencing the love of Christ is so transformative. I want to close with a story then that points to the love of Christ. A story about a woman named Anne Lamott. But truthfully, it's a story more about Christ's love for us compared to anything else. Anne was a medical missionary in East Africa years ago, and she wrote a story about some of her work while she was in East Africa caring for patients. The, she met a, a family while abroad, and this family had two children, an eight-year-old son and a, and a much younger daughter. And as she began to care for their needs, and as she began to meet the family, it dawned on her pretty quickly that the youngest daughter was incredibly sick. She ended up being diagnosed with leukemia, and she was pretty far along in her journey and she wasn't looking at very much life ahead of her. So through interpreters, Anne searched and searched for someone who could give a pint of blood to this young girl. She needed to find a match in the field. She desperately needed a blood transfusion. Otherwise, she was surely looking at death at a very young age. Finally, they tested her older brother, her eight-year-old older brother. And he was a match. 
And so through interpreters, they, they asked her older brother, would you be willing to give your blood to your sister? But it kind of caught him off guard. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know how to respond. And fighting back tears, he said, I need to go home and I need to think about this. And I need to pray about this. I need to talk to my family. And they were kind of confused, but they said, okay, like go home, think about it, pray about it. And so he went home. And for the next day, he, in his room, he, he prayed to God and he asked God, Lord, what should I do? Should I do this or should I not? He woke up the next morning and he intended, he had, he had deliberated enough, and he had made the decision that he was going to give his blood to his sister. So he told his family, they went back to Anne and the rest of the medical field, and he shared the same information with them. He said, I'm ready to donate my blood. So the doctor said, great. So they hooked him up, they, they found his vein, they put him in the IV, they laid him on a gurney right next to his sister. They were so close, they could look at each other in the eyes, one next to the other. When they started the blood transfusion, the boy was scared. He just laid still, didn't move, closed his eyes. And this complete calmness fell over him. He was so still and he was so steady that the doctor actually thought that maybe he had passed out. So the doctor went over to check on him, kind of aroused him and, and woke him up. And the boy just slowly opened his eyes, and with an incredibly somber and humble response, he looked the doctor in the eye, and he said, how soon is it until I die? The doctor was taken back by this conversation. He said, what do you mean, how soon until you die? So they grabbed the translators, and they realized pretty quickly that something was lost in communication. See, the interpreters forgot and failed to mention that they were just going to take one pint of blood for his sister. The boy, the eight-year-old boy, was under the assumption he was going to give all of his blood to save his sister. That's why he had to go home and pray about it. That's why he had to go home and think about it. Because he was willing, he was praying, he was thinking about giving his life up, laying his life down, emptying himself so that his younger sister could live. The love of his family was so overwhelming. The love for his family was so high that he, he didn't even care about his own life and was willing to lay it down. So he looked up at the doctor and he said, how soon until I die? This is Jesus in the flesh. This is Jesus seen in an eight-year-old older brother from East Africa. This is reflective of the kind of sacrifice that Jesus made for each and every one of us. As Christians, we talk all the time about the power of the cross, the power of the cross and resurrection to forgive sin, to, to make sure that you are a new creation in Christ. But we have to remember the power of the cross is always linked together with the love of the cross. That it's Christ's love for you that made him lay down his life. That it's Christ's love for you that made him shed his blood so you could be forgiven. That it's Christ's love for you that he took your place on the cross and in the tomb so that we could be reconciled to the Father forever. And I think sometimes as Christians, we settle for just being familiar with God's love compared to infatuated with it. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite theologians, wrote that we often trade mental assent for, of God's love for an arresting encounter with God's love. 
the love of Christ. It's key to your relationship. It's key to your spiritual maturity. And it is key to us as a church growing in the love of God, the relationship with what he has for us, and the ways that he wants us to move around this city and world. May we never grow tired of experiencing the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ over each and every one of our lives. We need more and more and more experiences like that. Let's pray.